Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and thanks for joining us at Back to the Bible Canada. In our current series, He Knows My Name, Dr. Neufeld helps us rediscover the topic of thanksgiving. So today, let's learn about how God cares for each of us as we continue to unpack Psalm 139, verses 13 to 24. It strikes me as an amazing thing that the God who flung every star, every solar system, and every galaxy into space should also observe the creation of a fertilized egg in the womb of its mother. It's a part of the wonder of creation that whether we examine the vastness of the universe or the minuteness of the individual microscopic particle, one is filled with an indescribable wonder. But perhaps one of the greatest points of wonder is the creation of a human being. When a sperm connects with an egg, something that will live forever has been born. Think about it. A human being with an eternal soul that will give account before God is now being formed. Dallas Willard said, You are a never-ceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's universe. Indeed, whenever a woman says, I'm pregnant, Know that someone who will live forever has come into being. It's, it's remarkable. I'll speak today on David's words in Psalm 139, 13 to 24, as we continue on in our Thanksgiving series entitled, He Knows My Name. You know, yesterday we spoke about God's omniscience, that he knows all things and why that alone is reason for thanks. For as David said, your hand will lead me and your right hand shall hold me. The God who watches him and knows everything about him will never let go of his hand. But now we come to the last part of Psalm 139. And again, I'm reading verses 13 to 16. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. You know, verse 13 literally reads, you formed my kidneys. I think it simply means that those organs that are unseen to us were seen by God when he put them together. You know, the more we're learning about the human body, the more we're seeing complexity and design. You are the product of the masterful work of God. I hope you don't have an inferiority complex. Low self-esteem is not possible when one sees the wonder of one's own creation. Now, before we move on, I think it necessary here to speak about a, a great sin in our country. It's the sin of abortion and the discarding of human life as if it were unwanted trash. It is the wanton disregard for that which God in his marvelous wisdom creates a human being. The Didache, which means the teaching, is a Christian tract written in the early 100s, only a few years after the New Testament was completed. It contains this line, You shall not procure an abortion, nor destroy a newborn child. You know, we know that the Roman world in which Christianity was born was filled with both abortions and the exposing or abandoning of unwanted children. Christian people became involved, often rescuing abandoned children and caring for them in Christian homes. Abortion was actively spoken against. By the year A.D. 210, the, the great Christian teacher Tertullian would write, In our case, a murder being once for all forbidden, we may not destroy even the fetus in the womb. It does not matter whether you take away a life that is born or destroy one that is coming to birth. 
And by A.D. 391, John Chrysostom, still considered by many as the finest Christian preacher in history, thundered these words against abortion from the pulpit. He was commenting on Deuteronomy 30, that God has set before us life and death, blessings and cursings. And, And Chrysostom went on to say, Why then do thou abuse the gift of God? and fight against his laws, and follow after what is a curse as if a blessing, and make the chamber of procreation a chamber of murder, and arm the woman that was given for childbearing unto slaughter. You know, in time, Christianity would win the day. The deep respect for life would grow. But in time, the old paganism, the the life-hating, death-affirming philosophy would come back. You know, today in Canada, the choice of death and evil are pronounced. Every day in this country, at least 300 unborn children are murdered in the womb every single day. Think of it as a 747 airliner crashing every day somewhere in this country, day in and day out, year after year, decade after decade, and after a while, millions have perished. Do you think the papers would be silent about that? Do you think they would go through an election campaign and not one candidate thinks it even noteworthy? But that's what's happening in this country today. You see, here are the facts. At conception, all the personal characteristics for human development, such as sex and temperament or or personality, hair and eye color, are right then already determined. By the 18th day, the foundations of the brain and the spinal cord and the nervous system are laid. On day 21, the heart begins to beat. By the time a woman even knows she's pregnant, she already has a baby with a beating heart. By seven weeks, you can clearly see the eyelids. By nine weeks, the child will curve her little fingers around and clutch an object placed in the palm of her hand in the exact same way that a newborn does. By week 11, her nose and ears and eyes are formed. By 13 weeks, the unique fingerprints are now in place. By week 22, your baby has the ability to hear and smell and taste and feel. Indeed, your baby is learning. By week 26, your baby already has sleep cycles, indeed has developed very specific times in the day for being awake and being asleep. In short, you don't have a blob of mass or tissue inside of the mother. You have a human being. Now look at verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. Our days are not only the product of a masterful design, they are the product of the ordained will of God. Imagine again a fertilized egg. Perhaps it's old enough to have divided once, but it's still an unformed body. Now imagine an old person, perhaps a a 95-year-old woman. Imagine you're at her funeral. Imagine all the things she has done in her life, her choices, her joys, her heartaches, her sins, her victories, and her accomplishments. That record is now complete. No more can be added. Now think again about that fertilized egg. Before we talk about God's ordained will for every human being, at the very least, we need to think about what we are actually looking at when we see a full human yet unborn child. The potential. An organism that has the capacity to do good and evil, the potential to overcome the most horrible of scenarios, and a life that can respond and speak to the God who created him. But what do we do about unwanted children who might be born into a a horrible situation? You know, a number of years ago, NBC rejected a 41-second commercial supposed to have been aired during the Super Bowl. 
The ad was to have shown an ultrasound image of a little baby in the womb. And then as classical music plays, in subtitles underneath, it simply said the following. This child's future is a broken home. He will be abandoned by his father. His single mother will struggle to raise him. And despite the hardships he will endure, this child will become the first African-American president. You know, NBC viewed this ad as too inflammatory. But what is inflammatory? Is it that life is precious? Is it that life is filled with potential? Life is surprising and amazing that human life often triumphs against all odds, even when it might be unwanted. Is this now considered too inflammatory for us to deal with? C.S. Lewis, when considering the value and nature of human life, said the following, There are no ordinary people. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with and work with and marry and snub and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors next to the blessed sacrament itself. Your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. Indeed, not only are there no ordinary people, there are no ordinary unborn babies or unwanted unborn babies. God knows this. In all his vast universe, humanity is the crown of his creation. David put it this way, When I consider the heavens and the work of your fingers and the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? Indeed, what a question. What is man that you should notice us and create us and ordain our days? That's the wonder of being known by God. But more than that, the God who knows us is also the God who cares for us. Let's look at our text again. In the second half of verse 13, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. You know, the idea of knitting carries with it several images. You can imagine a woman knitting a garment or even knitting an artistic design. So knitting requires attention, and it requires that one has in mind what one is creating. And the point that David is making is that our bodies are the product of an intelligent design infused with purpose. Each bodily part has a function, and each small part is the product of the wisdom of God. In considering the second half of this great psalm, we discover the reality of God's intimate creation for every single human being. And with that, we begin to realize the importance of this special care for the unborn. As Christians, we must recognize that protecting all human life is such a vital issue. This has been a great introduction to understanding how God has created and known us from the very beginning of our existence. When we come back, Dr. Neufeld continues to unpack Psalm 139, as we'll discover how David responds to the God who knows him. Partnership is a value we sincerely believe in at Back to the Bible Canada. Like-minded ministries working together for kingdom purposes. So I'm pleased to announce Dr. Newfeld's participation as a keynote speaker at Promise Keeper Canada's conferences across the country, including Toronto, Ottawa, Winnipeg, Edmonton, and this October 22nd in Abbotsford, British Columbia. For more information or to register for any of these events, visit promisekeepers.ca. And for Back to the Bible Canada event info or to send a donation to support the ministry, visit backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425. Now let's return now to our study with Dr. John Newfeld. 
Notice the next words, Psalm 139, verse 14. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And then he adds, wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. See, David is praising God not only for his creation, but for the wonder of his creation. It's not just that he exists, it's the wisdom and purpose and the reflection of God's glory that exists in his creation. It's not just that this is what God made when he made human beings, or us in particular, it's that my soul knows it. I'm not just fearfully and wonderfully made, I know that it's so. God in his wise purposes has revealed that to us. We know who we actually are. We are created with an awareness of self. Now, again, there's a horrible attempt to erode this. In our day, we're told that human life is not precious. Indeed, every school child in our country will learn that there are too many of us. All of us are producing greenhouse gases and other pollutants, and we are poisoning the planet, and the implication begins to form in our minds. The planet is the highest value, and we are much like the cancer that destroys the planet. Reduce the cancer. Save the planet. And of course, the history of human ingenuity has shown that more people results in greater prosperity. This planet can easily produce food enough to fill all hungry mouths if we value life. We can care for this planet, avoiding the extremes of overfishing and overmining and overforestation and overdoing everything if we value life. But no such message is often shared. Instead comes the bombardment of the message, humans are the problem and not the resource of the earth. We're like the rats in the house. And with that comes another message. You know, kids are expensive and they destroy a a woman's career advancement and we should only keep those children we want and unwanted babies are the problem. You know, several years ago, atheist Richard Dawkins said, it is immoral to bring a baby with Down syndrome into the world. And today, 92% of all Down syndrome babies are being aborted. Just human waste, throw them away. You know, a new genetic test will soon reveal autism at the earliest stages of fetal development. Parents will be told if their children will develop autism. These also will be seen as human waste, throw them away. Many stem cell researchers still insist on using fetal tissue. Although the best stem cells are not in unborn children, but in adult skin cells. Nevertheless, the idea is out there. The idea that there may be some value to these unborn children after all. Let's experiment on them so that we may live at their expense. You know, at times I think we live in a horror movie in which we are reenacting some macabre scene in which we live by feeding on the dead bodies of the unborn. How ugly is the culture of death, is the culture that refuses to wonder at the works of God. Now, verse 16. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. You know, the idea of an ordained will of God strikes some of us with anger. How is it that God ordains my life? And I draw your attention to Jeremiah 1.5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you, or I set you apart for the task you are to fulfill. The foreknowledge of God means so much more than that God knows what is going to happen before it does. To know in Scripture is to be intimate with. Before you were born, before you were knit together in the womb, I was already intimate with you, God tells Jeremiah. 
You know, there's so much more that could be said about this, and I, I am tempted to take the rest of the program on that wonderful doctrine alone, but I fear it would take us away from the point of the psalm. But at the very least, David is communicating that he knows that the destiny before every child is not random or chance or, or devoid of meaning. There is something utterly sacred about an unborn child. And then in verses 17 to 18, David adds, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. There's a sense here that David has exhausted his mind trying to conceive of God's intimate knowledge of him. He has fallen asleep, but as he awakes, the wonder is not gone. This wonder, this fascination with the knowledge of God is the seedbed from which all worship rises. I know that God's greatness and glory is the focus of worship, but this worship arises out of a knowledge that God has created me with purpose, that God in creation created me for events yet to come, a grand adventure that my life has value and is precious in his sight, and that I, above all things, have been created for him. You see, God's notice of us does not consist of an occasional bit of attention. As he passes by, he glances in our direction, and then God's mind is taken up in more important things. Now, we might be mistaken and think we are unimportant in God's sight, but God suffers no such illusion. Even though God is altogether glorious, and in one sense we are but dust and ashes, yet in another sense, all that God created was so that he could put human beings as the crown of his creation. Now, let me personalize that. All of God's created world is for you so that you might rule with him. We need to stop seeing things from a secular perspective. Stop looking at nature or yourself as if you are the product of random chance or simply a hiccup in the universe. All of life sings out with thoughts of God and his never-ceasing watch of us. We should respond in wonder. And then to verses 19 to 22. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of violence, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. <laughs> Many Christians are somewhat dumbfounded by these lines. In the midst of all this wonder, are we supposed to end up with a wish for vengeance upon our enemies? Is that what Christ would want? Didn't Jesus teach us to forgive and love our enemies? How can Christians read these verses with joy and still apply this to our own lives? Well, I think Christians can, but, but we must understand what is written here within a context, not within any context. Christ forgave his enemies, and so should we. We should not carry on hatred against those who are not believers. That's wrong. God loved the world, and so should we. That's the context of the whole Bible. But the context here, the, the kind of hatred spoken of here is a kind of zeal. It's a zeal that says, I will not find myself drawn into any unscrupulous, convenient alliances with those who abhor the Lord and reject his purposes for the human race. The response is not to reject people, but to reject evil. It is not possible to respond to the knowledge of God, to hear of his infinite knowledge and his care, and then carry on as usual. I will not align myself with the haters of life and the haters of God. I loathe the idea of abortion and the idea that makes humanity no more than purposeless, random chance. We must respond by rejecting evil. 
And then David adds these final words. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me to the way everlasting. I find it so amazing that this psalm begins by saying, God, you know me perfectly, and then it ends with the request, search me out, O God. That doesn't mean that David now concludes that that perhaps God doesn't know him perfectly after all. No, what he really wants is that God would reveal to David the things that David doesn't know about himself. He's praying that God would show him the things he has hidden from himself, especially his sin. Now, of course, we can pray that. If we know that the God who reveals to us our sins and failures and our rebellion against him is the same God who, as verse 10 reminds us, even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. The God who shows me my sin and the brokenness in my life is the God who whispers in my ear, I will never let go of your hand. So God, go ahead and search me and know me and reveal those things that are displeasing to you. And out of this discovery of my sin, lead on, O my God, the God of my creation, lead me to the paths of everlasting life. John, really briefly, can you say something to those who've had an abortion? Yes, I sure can. And I think I want to speak to those of you who have had an abortion, that there is grace and forgiveness and reconciliation and love and restoration to wholeness that is found before God. Take hope and know also that the child that you now do not know has been accepted into God's presence. And so you can move forward and you can know that the God who has observed you is also the God who reconciles you. We've learned so much about how God cares for us completely through the way he made us and is with us forever and always. It's an encouragement, but also a challenge for us to meditate on this truth, as David did through this beautiful psalm. When we see the reality of God's intricate design of ourselves and every single human being, it will not only transform our faith, but also our outlook on humanity. I hope that this message has impacted you today and that with David, we can also learn to respond in the same way, asking God to search our hearts as we continue to follow him. Listen again tomorrow as we continue this special Thanksgiving series with Dr. John Newfeld. Back to the Bible Canada, leading you forward in your walk with Jesus every day. It takes many people to make the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada possible. So we express our gratitude this month to an incredible ministry team who works tirelessly and with a deep sense of passion and mission for teaching the Word of God and spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. But we also thank our gracious partners, those who encourage us, pray for us, those who we share ministry with like Promise Keepers, Compassion Canada, Break Forth, Back to the Bible India, and the list goes on. But as important are all those who give of themselves so generously and faithfully. There is no more tactful way of saying this. If not for your gracious financial gifts, the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada would not be possible. So may I ask you to continue giving generously? The last couple of months have been financially challenging and your gift today would mean so much. So give us a call with your gift, decide to become a monthly partner, and we'll commit to continuing to do all we can to make the sound and accurate teaching of the Bible available every day using every means possible. 
Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit us online at backtothebible.ca.